Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Chance for Gabbiadini, yes! His comments! go again yes welcome back to steve bloomer's washing the independent derby county podcast we're delighted to be back with you after our uh, enforced month-long break during the pandemic but football has returned and so have we i'm chris hello uh, the usual suspects are back alongside me or have dialed in at least remote rams richard kutcher you right hi chris yeah good to see you and uh, tom martin evening how are you doing yeah very well thanks chris yourself not too bad getting by. Before we carry on, of course, uh, don't forget that the podcast is sponsored for the season by our friends at Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. But uh, yeah, doing all right, all things considered. It's, uh, what is it, day 84, I think I saw today, of lockdown as we record this. Uh, Tom, you've been, uh, you've been back at school this week as a, as a teacher, not a pupil, I should, uh, I should add. How's it been for you? Are you happy to be back, back to uh, normal working life or whatever you can call that these days? Yeah, very happy to be back, Chris. It's, uh, it is nice, nice being back in the classroom and nice to see some of my colleagues and the students again. Um, we've got very limited amount of kids in. We've got a quarter of year 10, a quarter of year 12. So it's about 100 kids in total and they come in every every week, once a week. So it's, it's a bit surreal, uh, but it certainly beats sitting in front of a computer doing um, remote learning all the time. Um, that's much better to be in the classroom. So weird, but getting there. Good to hear. Um, Coach, I'm not sure what your situation is, but I um, I recently found out that I'm not really going to be expecting to go back to the office till uh, September. So I'm, I'm getting well and truly used to the, the four walls of my uh, of my quite small house (laughs) um how's how's, how's it been for you what's your what's your setup at the moment yeah not not much difference when we from when we last spoke really when we spoke to Martin Waghorn uh still out in the Cotswolds um albeit slightly a little bit heavier than I was uh before uh, with an ever-growing beer collection and and like yourself Chris I mean I work in the city and I don't really expect any realistic prospect of being back in the office buildings and attending meetings in 2020 to be honest I think the city shut down before government enforced lockdown, and I expect the city will probably be extra cautious in opening back up again. While we can all, you know, thankfully we can all work from home. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, this is probably the new normal for the rest of uh, rest of twenty twenty. Well, yeah, as you said, there, Kutch, uh, society is uh, slowly returning to something resembling normal or uh, the new normal, whatever that turns out to be, and uh, that includes the mighty Rams finishing the last nine games of this season behind closed doors, of course, starting with Millwall away on Saturday the 20th. And um, we're going to have a quick chat, actually, later in the pod with our resident Millwall expert for the uh, opposition view, as well as his take on uh, Mason Bennett and a certain Mr. Rowett. But but judging by the fan reaction in in the past couple of weeks, at least, chaps, it does feel like it's got a bit of a, a pre-season sort of a vibe to it, doesn't it? Maybe it's the weather. I don't know. It's pretty, it's pretty hot where I am and pretty sunny. Or maybe it's the that same pre-season optimism that's definitely kicked in with with plenty of fans touting Derby as having a chance of a late playoff charge this season, even with the hardest run in in the championship uh, on paper. Well, we're the state of play is cut. This is how it is. We're five points of the top six right now. 
and before lockdown we were in pretty pretty decent nick it has to be said we were very strong at home had a few good results scored three in our last two games partly thanks to the uh, to the Rooney factor but there are still 27 points to play for in the rest of this campaign we couldn't could we uh yeah highly unlikely um I think yeah as you said hardest running arguably the hardest running in the league uh facing four of the top six in 11 days uh plus leads uh, a few days after that run and I think those four games um is probably going to define what kind of running we have but if we don't pick up maximum points in those first two matches Millwall away Reading at home and I think realistically it's going to be over before it's even begun uh, there, there are probably realistically eight teams that are chasing one playoff spot. If you think that the, the press on North End spot, they're currently in sixth place, 56 points, down to QPR in 13th with 50 points. Um, and I, as, you, as you said, Chris, we've probably got the hardest running in all those teams in between. So, And there's so many unknowns, you know, I think we're going to come on to it, but impact on empty stadiums, how players respond to that, fitness levels, you know, bigger squads, more subs. It's going to be, it's, it's, I, I, go, I don't think it's possible, but I do think those first two games, we've got to be getting six points to, to give ourselves a shout because I think there are, yeah, seven teams playing for one spot. So Millwall, basically, Tom, is a bit of a potential, um, you know, battle of the, uh, the the top six also runs, really. But I mean, we're also forgetting the fact that we, we could be facing some sort of points deduction, as we keep on saying, which could completely turn Derby County season upside down. But as Coach has said there, for me, I do just think it is a step too far. I mean, if, if you look at historically how many points teams have generally needed to get into the top six, it's usually somewhere around the late 60s or, or early 70s. So let's say, for example, right, we need 70 points to, to get into the top six. So to do that, we've got to get 19 points from our last nine games. That's, that, that's basically form that is even better than automatic promotion form. It's better than two points a game. And we're still going to play, as you've said there, five of the current championship top six. I mean, it's it's not happening, is it, Tom? Let's be honest. Yeah, it's not happening. Um, in my opinion, if you're, you're getting your head on and you're really thinking about it, it's not happening. But obviously with the heart, you're just sort of, yeah, there is a hope. And it's only five points, as you say. I think Derby's biggest problem isn't necessarily the running. It's actually the amount of... A, teams around them as Kutch alluded to who are potentially challenging for this you could go a little bit further down than Derby into QPR maybe in 13th place who are on 50 points and only six points off there and go well if Derby fancy it they must fancy it as well and it is only one spot so I think one team between six and maybe 13th or 14th is going to have an incredible run and that one team is going to nick that sixth sixth spot um, and if it's Derby then fantastic but it's it's very unlikely and I just see that maybe Preston or Bristol City have been uh, more consistent over the season. They're in sixth and seventh at the moment. And I do fancy Bristol City just to pip it, um, pip it on the last day. I can't help but feel that maybe, maybe if we had a slightly better squad, if we didn't have a couple of gaps, if like Bielik wasn't ruled out for the season, if, if you know, Marriott didn't have his issues and, and we had the Marriott of before Christmas last season, maybe we're in with a shout but it does just seem a bit a bit pie in the sky really but yeah it's um aside from anything else it's just going to be really really weird when football does come back I can't even really get my head around how weird it's going to be when we have to watch Derby play in front of empty stadiums all over the country for the last nine games I mean let alone what an East Midlands Derby against Forest at Pride Park is going to be like with with no fans there whatsoever um before lockdown though Coach Derby had the uh, second best home record in the league, but also the fourth worst away record. Do you reckon playing without any fans could be a bit of a, a bit of a leveler for most of the division? I think it's so it's so unpredictable, isn't it? I mean, we've seen in the Bundesliga that kind of home and away records have kind of been turned on their head almost, and we're seeing more bookings for home teams than we would ordinarily see. But I think as most of those articles have pointed out, and there's a good one from Jonathan Wilson on this topic in The Guardian a couple of days ago, is that actually the sample size of these of these studies is, is too small, really, to put much weight onto them. If you've got only a month's worth of fixtures to assess, it doesn't really tell you a lot. It could be a leveller. 
we just don't know, do we? I mean, different players are going to react in different ways and you, you don't really know who those players are until it happens. So it's so hard to predict. And I think it's going to make, for a team like Derby, where we've got an outside chance of something happening, but probably most of us aren't expecting anything to happen, um, apart from obviously wanting to get enough points to absorb any potential point deduction, I think it's a bit of a free hit. And it, I think most Derby fans can probably watch this relatively relaxed and see what this weird experiment you know, throws up. Um, we're not really. We should. We we shouldn't be stressed out about our chance at promotion being scuppered by some problem with you know not having the home fans behind us or getting an, or someone else getting an easier ride away from home. So I'm not too worried about it. I'm quite intrigued about what's going to unfold. Um, I think we've got quite a young squad, and some players may benefit from not playing in front of crowds. But we'll come up against other teams that will have the same situation, and some players who will also benefit from not playing in front of the crowd. So it's just a great unknown and it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. And yeah, I'm, I'm on a completely random note. I'm delighted Derby have got a good uh, fans channel. So I think Rams TV have been doing this quite well for a couple of years and Derby fans will probably have a better experience than others watching games in this uh, in this new way. The only real evidence that we've seen of how players are coping with it is uh, a couple of training matches that Derby had against Stoke the other day. Um, I don't know if the club actually said what the score was. <laughs> I think I think after a bit of investigation, it turned out there were two games. One of them was a 1-0 win, I think, and one of them was a one all draw. And there were also rumours, unfounded, Tom, that uh, Florian Josefsson scored a football goal in one of those games. Um, I was as shocked as you are to, uh, to, to hear that news. But do you think... I don't know, Kutch makes an interesting point there about players who might come out of their shell a little bit, some players who maybe go into themselves when uh, when the going gets tough. Do you think maybe it could be a bit liberating for some of those players who, frankly, can't do it for Derby under pressure? Yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of people uh, get motivated in very different ways and feel stress in different ways. And um, some of those players are going to have to have things to prove. Um, either the youngsters, like Kutch mentioned, who are still trying to uh, get a first team spot and to get more minutes and experience, or someone like Josef Zoon, who has been, um, I think frozen outs maybe a bit too too harsh, but certainly hasn't had the opportunities that maybe he would have wanted, and that's knocked his confidence. Without there being a, a crowd there uh, on Saturday next week to sort of sigh or groan when he miscontrols it or doesn't make the run that people wanted him to do, um, he could actually find himself getting a bit more confidence, and he does seem that sort of player. When I've seen him at Brentford before he came to Derby, he was brilliant when he was full of confidence and he was running at defenders. Um, and as soon as it starts to go wrong, he, he seems to get himself in a bit of a trough. So, yeah, I do think that some players will benefit. Um, I do think some players will will find it difficult. I do Having watched quite a few of the Bundesliga games, they often start very slow. Um, it's almost like the players are starting to, starting to feel their way into the game and trying to build momentum, which is... Uh, artificially, which maybe is normally created by the uh, by the supporters or get, and the atmosphere and the sort of pressure that the game uh, that they put onto the game as well. So um, it is going to be very weird watching it. Um, I am excited for watching it, but I'm also a bit nervous about watching it as to how much I actually do enjoy it because it's not going to be to be normal, is it? It's going to be very very unusual. I think I think Tom makes uh, a good point there about about kind of tempo because. One thing I was thinking of the other day, and I think it was from reading about uh, Liverpool's uh, title run, and of course Liverpool should be a shoe in to win the Premier League, but they they rely on a very very high octane, high pressing, high tempo game, and there's two ways to look at that in regards to this break, either benefiting them or being a disadvantage of them. One is that they've had a break and they can recharge because they were showing signs of kind of fatigue and slowing down before this uh, enforced break. So maybe they're going to benefit from that and they're going to you know, stomp in and win another you know, eight games in a row or whatever. Or the fact that the fixture schedule has become so congested, that's going to kind of slow them down and that's going to kind of stop them from playing that high tempo game. And of course, Leeds would come into a similar category in terms of playing a high energy game. Um, now, Derby under Philip Koku, have played a bit more of a controlled style. They wanted to keep the ball. They wanted to kind of play themselves into games. It's been quite rare that we've really kind of blasted out of the traps. So that suggests to me maybe this kind of enforced break and kind of easing yourself back in might suit this current squad. And as mentioned before, we've got a very, very young squad and maybe some players 
like Morgan Whitaker, for example, who has seemed to struggle when he's appeared on the big stage, despite having excellent statistics in the youth teams, maybe he'll find find his feet a lot easier in first team action with no crowd there. So I think there's, there's, there's lots of ways to look at this enforced break as potentially benefiting Derby, but we, do, we don't know, do we, until we actually see it uh, play out. Well, yeah, it's all about the teams that get promoted often peak at a certain time, don't they? You think about like Villa when they went up and Fulham when, when they went up, it's all about just hitting form and fitness and chemistry and cohesion, like in, you know, starting to bubble in February and then really hitting it in like March and, and April. And yeah, it's, it's really interesting what you say there, that teams that would have designed their season about peaking at the right time, all those plans have, have gone out the window and, and, I think it's all about who copes with this this reset button the best, really. But it's um, uh, there's been some great information about how football is going to be different in in this new normal. There's some information from uh, from the journalist Henry Winter who tweeted about the uh, instructions that the Premier League has given to players, which include uh, no spitting, no nose clearing, no surrounding match officials. That all makes perfect sense. No mass confrontations. Uh, maintaining distance during goal celebrations, enjoyable. And the best bit, uh, where feasible, broadcasters will identify a celebration camera which players can head to after scoring. Um, I mean, hopefully that's that's the instructions for the championship as well because I, I, for one, cannot wait to see some really awkward, uh, choreographed, socially distanced goal celebrations in front of one camera. How about you? Well, yeah, I mean, I, I'm looking forward to the, the Wayne Rooney scream down the camera lens, as I think we've seen in the England shirt a few times. We'd love to see that in the Derby County shirt or any of our younger players putting together some uh, excellent routine they've worked out on the training ground would be nice to see. I mean, I think what's been weird about the Bundesliga is the first couple of weeks, they definitely were um, embracing those kind of socially distant celebrations. There were some great Dortmund ones where they were all kind of stood three yards apart from each other in the corner of the pitch and celebrating. But that seems to have gone out the window from the last, you know, I've not watched as much of the Bundesliga as Tom has, but it seems to me that all those kind of socially distant celebrations have gone out the window and people have been acting as normal again. So it'd be interesting to see how much that's enforced or even if they can enforce it at all. I think it's one of those unenforceable rules, isn't it? How can you how can you tell someone that they can't go near someone when they when they score a goal when two minutes before they've thundered into a tackle and gone and landed on top of each other? So it's it's sort of one of those ridiculous things that um, I, I understand why it's sort of given and why that's uh, suggested, but it's not going. What are you going to do? Book someone because they celebrated by giving the player a hug or something, or they they sort of like run into each other or like high five. Yeah, I, I can't see it happening, but I certainly I'm not too sure about a celebration cam. To be honest, I don't think I'm a. I don't think I'm. I agree with you, Chris. I don't want to see any players like doing socially awkward dances in front of cameras. I think it's a bit weird. But um, but yeah, you never know. I might change my mind and enjoy that when it happens. When and if Derby do actually score a goal, it's a it's human nature, isn't it? There's some just some things that you can't stop people doing. Like you know, you can't stop people from getting pissed on the beach with their mates during lockdown and you can't stop football players from uh, from hugging and celebrating together. It's just, uh, just one of those things. But we um, we asked you guys on Twitter, what you think? What do you think? Uh, what's your reaction to football returning? We asked you to respond to us in uh, five words. Kurt Lewin came in. Playoffs, here we come. Love the optimism. Love, love your attitude there, Kurt. That's what we like to see even if it's not going to happen. Um, Nathan Morley, he tweeted us to say, not the same, but excited. Uh, Owen Bradley, off of, uh, of Rams TV fame, he, he tweeted us. He said, hope my voice is ready. He's going to have to uh, pack in a lot of comms in a short space of time. Uh, the Punjabi Rams, they tweeted us. They said, football meltdowns back on socials. That was good. Uh, Martin Dempster, he tweeted us. He said, long time since Saturday's ruined. Uh, Jimmy Gregory came on. He said, uh, I miss calling goalkeepers wankers. We all do. Nav Sidhu, he tweeted us. He said, bring on team sheet meltdowns. Definitely miss those at uh, two o'clock every Saturday. And uh, finally, Craig G, he tweeted us over at, at Steve Bloomerpod. And he said, predicting the usual rowet shithousing. Um, reference to Millwall in Derby's first game. Uh, sorry we couldn't read them all out. We, we really do appreciate everyone getting in touch and um, helping us put the pod together. And uh, sorry if we didn't read your contribution out there. But uh, yeah, Kutch, 
Millwall, it is there, and that's the first game. I guess it when when it does come to that game and who he decides to put out, who Koku decides to to field, he would be pretty foolish, really, to to change it that much from the team that, that beat Blackburn uh, and and played so well, even if it was um, three months ago when that happened. But you, uh, you have to remember that Rooney did actually miss that game, and uh, Tom Lawrence missed it as well. He had a knock, so the team Derby's last starting eleven against Blackburn in the middle of uh, in early March was uh, Hamer, Bogle, Wisdom, Clark, Forsyth, Shinny, Bird and Sibley and Knight, Waghorn and Martin. Do you expect that team with those apart from those two names I've mentioned to change a huge amount for for Millwall at the weekend? Well, I think that's the two omissions that you mentioned which would would obviously come straight back in that you'd presume, you know, Rooney would be in for Shinny, I'd imagine. And Tom Lawrence would be in for Jason Knight. You know, Tom Lawrence coming from the left. Did you say that Sibley started that game? He did, yeah. Yeah, so I think I think probably as much as I, I think we all want to see Louis Sibley play more games, the other person we're forgetting here is Mr. Dwayne Holmes, who was probably our player of the season before he got this injury um, and was in fantastic form, uh, you know, coinciding with, with Rooney's introduction in the new year. So I think Dwayne Holmes should be knocking on the door for a place uh, there. So you could say that, Dwayne Holmes, Waghorn and Lawrence should be in that three behind Chris Martin if Chris Martin's going to be starting uh, this 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 kind of break uh, of this sort of second half of the season, so to speak, and we'll come on to him later. Um, so, yeah, I think Dwayne Holmes is the other person to throw in the mix, but I would expect Tom Lawrence and Wayne Rooney to walk straight back into that team. The back four is probably um, is probably what we'd expect. If, if Clark and Wisdom are going to stay together, I think we'd started to see him rarely play Max Lowe and Jaden Bogle in the same match. So if Bogle was at right back with Wisdom at centre back, then I'd possibly expect to see Forsyth at left back. I think um, I think it was so long ago now that form is out the window, isn't it? Like it, it doesn't matter because it's it's like starting afresh, and we've got nine game. It's like a nine game mini league, um, and we've got to try and win as many games with that as possible. And so we've got to, for me, I think we've got to play our best possible team, and that means that the, the fittest team as well. That's so if we've got a one of our best players or most instrumental players, say Rooney, for example, if he's not fit, then he's not in the team because he's not he's not fit enough to be be part of that best eleven. But I think you've just got to go for it. The best players that you can put out there, we put those best players out there. So unfortunately, it does mean that the likes of Sibley perhaps might have to take a back seat because Holmes and Lawrence can come back in, um, and that's a bit of a shame because I, I do want to see see Sibley in there. But I think if you're trying to push for playoffs, you've got to. For me, you've got to take the uh, the best eleven that you possibly can, and maybe Sibley is the fourteenth, fifteenth in that list of say best players, and I think he might miss out for the first sort of three or four. If things don't go to plan and we sort of slide out of playoff contention, I'd expect to see a lot more of the likes of Sibley and Whitaker um, and the other sort of younger players in the in the team more regularly. So, on the subject of those young players, we mentioned Sibley, Bogle, Knight, Bird. There, all. Um... Academy graduates. Uh, it's interesting, Kutch, that Mel Morris said a whole almost five years ago in September 2015, when Paul Clement was in charge, that five in five years' time from then, uh, he wanted 50% of Derby's first team to be made up of Academy players. And uh, the reason I mention that is because I think he mentioned recently that we're on course to hit that target. And it's, it is almost five years since he said that. So if we're going to make that target, we need one or two more to to step up into Derby's first team, whether that's in the next nine games or the start of next season. Do you think that target is achievable? And can we actually achieve having half a team made of academy players and stay competitive at the same time? I think the answer probably to that question, Chris, is probably different in the kind of pre-pandemic era, if we call it that. Um, so while I thought it was probably noble albeit potentially unrealistic proclamation when he when he said that and, and he had repeated it again recently, I think in this kind of post-pandemic environment, it would probably be a necessity for all clubs to be thinking that way, at least in the short to medium term. So if this generation of, of young players that Derby is producing delivers on the potential that we've all heard about and in many instances already started to see whether that be in Derby's first team with the likes of Max Bird and kind of Jaden Bogle, um, or in the, in the youth teams, uh, doing well in this country, one of the best teams, young teams in this country at the moment, and, and in Europe as well. So if only a handful of those keep on that trajectory, then you'd say we certainly would meet that target. We're already pretty close to that target in terms of having about five homegrown players in the first team. 
and and be competitive because not every if every club is going to have to cut their cloth accordingly and rely more on their youth team and we've got the best youth set up or the best youth team right now and the best pipeline of talent in the next two or three years particularly at championship level then absolutely we'll be competitive but that's not the only part of this. You know, if you're saying that five of your players are going to come from the, the academy and we've got a very good academy, so that's five very good players competing against their peers in the next couple of years, it's got to be complemented by clever recruitment around it. You know, that's the, the five players isn't the be all and end all. It's the other six or five players in that team which have got to be recruited properly. You've got to do our research. We can't be spending big money on four-year contracts like Akechi Anya, which we'll come on to later as well. You know, we've got to be recruiting sensibly at the right time with the at the right age profile and right player player profile to complement what we've already got. So I think the youth academy is there. We've obviously got the talent coming through. And I think Derby, if we can get our finances sorted, is very well set for the next few years. Yeah, that's so important, Tom. It's that's that's such a good point because getting those players the right environment to flourish and improve and be the best players they can be is just such a big part of this. And if you think about how much Max Bird has improved, having playing alongside Rooney in, in that two in the last few games, like it's just been an absolute joy to see him really kick on and the way that he carries the ball now and the way that they play little wall passes off each other and and the way he's matured and, and his physicality now. And this is the same player who looks fairly out of his depth against Villa in, in that 4-0 tonking last season and who made his debut under Rauer actually a couple of years ago. So I think what I'm trying to say is that, that there are so many factors that can affect these young players' development. And especially as Kutch mentioned earlier, when you think about someone like Morgan Whitaker, who, uh, as someone pointed out on Twitter, has a phenomenal goal record for the for the for the kids, for the under 18s and the 23s. That like is almost a it wasn't far off like a goal a game for the for the under 18s and 23s and in in the youth league but he has just looked pr- pretty raw and ju- and just not quite ready in in the first team environment but that doesn't mean he's not going to make it what what I wanted to ask you Tom is that there are three players who since derby came back to train after lockdown have been uh, have stepped up to the uh, to first team training at least uh, Jordan Brown Jamal Hector Ingram and uh, Joe Bateman Although, as I've said, there's no guarantee that any of those guys can make it. Can you at least sort of fill us in on, on what those three guys are all about and maybe what we can expect from them in the next sort of year or so? Yeah, um, the, th- the three players, Brown, Hector Ingram and Bateman, who've joined that first team, have both been getting rave reviews in the uh, under-23s. Uh, Jordan Brown seems to be a versatile defender, uh, predominantly a centre-half, um, but he's only 18, so he's still still young, still learning his trade. Uh, Jamal Hector Ingram was signed last year from West Ham uh, following a successful trial period and he's he's scored 10 goals this season uh, in only 17 games. Uh, he's got an excellent right foot and he's uh, obviously got an eye for the goal. The person that I think could maybe step in, and this is predominantly really because we haven't got uh, a very strong area in this, uh, strong sort of players in this area um, at centre-half and that's Joe Bateman, uh, nicknamed the Bomber, which I quite like as a nickname for a defender. It sounds pretty terrifying. Um, up there with like Chopper Harris, I think, from the 70s. And uh, a mate of mine who plays in my Saturday team called Masher, which is a, a good centre-half nickname too. So Joe Joe Bomber Bateman, uh, he's 21 and I think is a, a big solid defender. And he's he's the one I would like to see uh, perhaps in the next nine games if we're going to up that to five uh, academy or youth players coming through uh, and playing for the first team. And I certainly think if he cont- impresses in this little spell, even if he doesn't play, then he may well be um, potentially backup or maybe a, a sort of second choice uh, centre half for next year. He's coming up, he's coming of age where he needs to play some games. So hopefully in the next nine games, but if not, certainly next season, whenever that might be. Well, yeah, maybe it's not too unrealistic after all. Maybe um, Mel Morris is, is on course to, to realise that ambition that he set way back in September 2015 when uh, Derby County were pretty pretty different proposition well um we've got a bit more rams chat in a second we're going to be talking about cult hero akechianya parting ways with the rams after uh, four magical years and uh, it's millwall of course in derby's first game back we'll have a little preview of our trip to an empty new den uh, later on as well but uh, if you follow us on social you can find us on facebook instagram and twitter at steve bloomer pod so uh, give us a follow there and we'll be back in a second 
Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. He's there with the header, out to Pembridge. Pembridge can bring it to the floor and run it forward, and he needs some men to do some running to help him out. Pushes it up there, the flag stays down. Johnson goes after it, into the area, tries to shot it, tries to cross, and Gabbiardini's put it in! Gabbiardini has given Derby the lead! 17 minutes, and Millwall dealt a solar plexus Right, well, chaps, only really one place to start with um, in the second part. Some just some really, really terrible news. Um, I hope you're both okay. I hope you both hope you both managed emotionally because um, after after four great long years, it's it's the end for Kechianya's time at Derby County. Um, he's going to leave the club and not having his contract renewed. Um, obviously, I'm joking. He's been one of the biggest wastes of money in the club's recent history. Uh, to put this one in perspective, Kutch, um, Anya earned a reported 27 grand a week since we signed him in 2016, meaning since his last appearance for us two years ago, he literally hasn't kicked a ball for Derby since uh, starting in the playoff semi-finals against Fulham. Uh, he's cost Derby 2.8 million in wages alone. We're talking about a player here who, if you combine his fee and his wages has cost us almost £10 million. Um, just just talk us through the madness that was that signing and just how incredibly badly it's gone for all concerned. Well, yeah, £10 million, that's an eighth of Pride Park Stadium, apparently. So, uh, yeah, significant, significant <laughs> amount of money. Um, I think maybe my answer is going to be un- a bit unpopular here, but I, th- I think it's a bit too easy to blame Akechre Enya, to be honest. We, when we, we don't really know... What his attitude has been like, we've never, or I've certainly never read any reports of him down in tools or kind of not trying or not wanting to play football. Um, I think Steve Nick wrote a, a half-decent piece in the Derby Telegraph in the last few days. I think his first kind of going through his kind of season-by-season season kind of journal of, of Akeche Anya's t- life and times at Derby County. And his appearance record when he first arrived was 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 half-decent. You know, he played 27, appeared 27 times in his first season. And he had 99 appearances in three years at Watford, you know, in this, just before he joined us. So it's not like he's got a history of downing tools or, or not wanting to play. He's only 32 now. So he should have been motivated really to, to win another decent contract, either with us or, or somewhere else. And yeah, you know what? He hasn't played enough games. He's obviously been injured a fair bit. He hasn't had lots of serious injuries, but it seems like he's had niggly injuries, which I think are harder to forgive. You know, if you see someone's uh, you know, dislocated their knee or or whatever, and when you know you know they're going to be out for twelve to eighteen months, and and that's a real battle. And you feel for those players. It's harder, a bit like Jack Marriott. It's harder to have sympathy with players where you feel like it's just a few niggles, and it's and you start to become a bit suspicious. But he should never have been given a four year contract. Four year contract for a twenty eight year old was stupid business, and that's of course talking of hindsight. It was a Nigel Pearson signing. Um, you know, signed him at the same time as Matash Vidra, and Vidra turned out to be a great signing all round. To be honest, you know, we had a really good season out of him and sold him for. A decent amount of money. Akechi Anya, not so much. I think no one's sad to see him go. I do think it's a bit easy just to call him a lazy so-and-so. And we don't really know if that's the case. He's probably been very, you know, probably been very unlucky. Uh, maybe he didn't try his best to get into the team. Maybe he did. We don't know. But, you know, how many managers he had in those four years? I think the club isn't wholly unto blame for this. I mean, Tom, there is... Uh, I get what you're saying there, Coach, but I... I don't know where I got it from. I don't know how, if the, the lines of truth and fiction have been blurred here, but I was definitely under the impression that he had been uh, offered the chance to at least go out on loan and try and put himself in the shop window to, to get a move elsewhere or to get his fitness up. But it seemed he was basically just happy playing for the 23s and doing very little else. Um, what was your take on him? Do you think he was like a victim of the managerial chop and change or is he just a, a lazy unmotivated mercenary with with no professional pride it's difficult I wouldn't go as harsh as what you said there Chris um he did obviously come in and do okay um I guess he was kind of a replacement for Jeff Hendrick he was sold on the same day um and it was obviously a massive downgrade for me on on Jeff Hendrick and that's why he was significantly cheaper um but equally he did have a few injury problems like with his ankle he seemed to always be just a just not able to sort of keep up with the intensity and 
he was never caused. He never seemed to be a, a bad egg, if that makes sense. He never heard anything like negative about him refusing to train or or not not doing something. Um, but my one issue would be, like you alluded to there, Chris, like we managed to get rid of Jacob Butterfield on loan. Like, how did we not get rid of Akechianya uh, at the same time? It just seems to baffle me completely. I, to me, it looks like someone who fell out of love with football, and um, it wouldn't surprise me if he retired and we didn't see him in a football shirt again. Uh, professionally so yeah a, a shame because I remember him being quite a talented that dynamic winger um, before joining Derby and that he's never really lived up to it and he's a massive waste of money I think that's all I can say about him I, what I would say is that we were there Tom were you there as well coach we, me and you were definitely there Tom when at Millwall Akechi um yeah. definitely scored and I don't think it was offside. I think I've... no, it wasn't. It was a great. It was his greatest moment. It was his greatest non-moment in, in a derby. In a derby show, that was, was a great moment thing. that could have changed Akechianya's career for the better. That could have that could have given it. That could have kick-started things again. So maybe he's unlucky. I don't know. Who are we to say? As I'm talking about Millwall, why don't we have a chat with someone who knows a great deal about them? Uh, as we said, it's Derby's first game back. After the Den, have got a pretty poor record there in recent years. I think I've only won once there in our last eight attempts. But uh, we've had him on before, so we're having another chat just now with uh, sports journalist and lifelong Millwall fan Mark Lawford. So Kutch and I had a chat with him, and we asked him first whether the playoffs really are on the cards for Gary Rowett's side. Hi, I'm Paolo Wanchop, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So Mark, Derby might have one of the toughest run-ins on paper. But uh, you look at Millwall, two points and two places off the top six, uh, almost the uh, complete opposite. You've still got to play three of the bottom four. Um, you must be fancying your chances of making the playoffs, right? Are you in a, a cheeky late playoff push, do you think? I don't think so. I don't think so. They, they were very well placed to get one uh, two years ago and they blew it at the end. It's all this thing, isn't it, about overachievement and at the start of the season, the whole thing about being a Millwall supporter is we've been used to this. Fourth bottom is our aim. OK, um, I don't think we're going to finish fourth bottom now. I think we're going to finish higher. But I don't think I think had things not turned out the way they were, um, if things had been played in front of a crowd and we could have had the momentum going after that great win at Forest, um, then I think maybe, yeah, we could have done. But now you're looking at this sort of micro tournament now, aren't you? That's being played like in parks football, where you're going to get professional footballers playing in front of no supporters. And it's just going to make it into a totally different thing. So, no, I don't think Millwall will get there. I think they'll have a very good go. Um, And you say we're playing the bottom teams, but we lost at home to Barnsley uh, when they hadn't won away for like 40 years. So it's one (laughs) of these things that... Um, and they scored with the last kick of the game. Millwall's record against the teams at the bottom isn't very good this year, except Luton. But again, they 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 threw it away against Luton as well, away from home. So I know we've talked about it ourselves just before you came on. Um, that the Den obviously is an, is a ground with a certain atmosphere, um, pretty intimidating for away teams. I seem to remember when um, um, when Derby went there one five one, which I try not to remind you of too often. Um, I, I don't even remember that. <laughs> that was the game where Derby's right back was subbed off at half time because I believe he was uh, getting coined by the Millwall fans during while marauding down the right. Um, for you, how how much of a of a leveler is not being able to play in front of that uh, that passionate home crowd? I think it's going to be the same for everyone, though, isn't it? I think that's that's the, that's the weird thing. It's, it is going to be this strange this strange tournament that's going to spring up. Um, don't forget. I mean, Millwall have got their own set of passionate fans, but Derby have got passionate fans as well. So have Leeds. So has every team. And it's going to be very strange to go out and play home matches and not have that support behind you. I think the sad thing is, is that I don't think Rooney's ever played against Millwall before. I'm pretty sure he never has. And I think a lot of us were looking forward to actually seeing Wayne Rooney play um, in the flesh at Millwall. It was going to be brilliant. Actually seeing him being part of it, and offering him some advice when things weren't going as well as they want as he wanted. <laughs> I mean, uh, I think I think the whole league is probably counting, uh, you know, counting themselves unlucky those that haven't faced Rooney this season, including Derby not having, you know, the gate receipts they would be expecting from Wayne Rooney's kind of arrival. I think I think everyone's missing out on that kind of uh, a cash cow at the moment, unfortunately, along with all the other cash cows we're missing out on. But I mean, Chris mentioned Gary Rowett in his first question, Mark. I mean, how? 
how much credit do you give him for turning around your season? Obviously, he's a, a person Derby fans know or, or dislike very, very well. Um, you said you don't consider yourselves playoff contenders, but he was obviously 17th when he took over in October. So how, how much has he turned that season around for you? The thing is, he's a very good manager and he comes across as a very decent man. I know Derby fans won't think that. Um, and I remember when I was working at Yahoo, when he went to Stoke, I was staggered that he left your club and went to Stoke because it, it was like jumping off one red bus onto another red bus and it didn't seem sensible at the time. The one thing that he's brought with him is managerial experience at a decent level. Now, I won't have a bad word said against Neil Harris because he's a Millwall legend, but he was too involved with the club at times to make sensible decisions about the team. Rowett has got tactics up his sleeve. For instance, the match against Luton on New Year's Day, Millwall stank the place out for 25 minutes. When a goal down, what did he do? He made changes immediately. He didn't wait till half time. He made changes. They came out in the second half. He'd made another one and they ran right in the second half and they won. That almost certainly would not have happened under Neil Harris. He would have carried on with the same long ball game, aerial bombardment. Let's let's do it until they break. And Luton didn't look as if they were going to break that day. And the thing that Rowett's brought, Rowett's brought managerial nous from different sources. You know, he was a good manager at Derby. He had, he had a good time there. Um, he was good at Birmingham. He didn't do that well at Stoke, but I'm not sure if anyone could have done well at Stoke at the time. So he's learned all these things at decent clubs and he's come to Millwall and he seems to be really enjoying himself and he's bought into the whole ethos of the club. I don't think there's many Derby fans that would disagree that, that Rowett is a, a functional manager, Mark, but there is that style of football, isn't there? I mean, Derby fans won't need much reminding about the games like, you know, the, the draw away at Villa in, in the Rowett season where Derby had, what, 28% possession and... Brentford away the same season where it was even less and Rowett did seem to thrive on setting teams up to stifle and not have much of the ball and hit teams on the break and go direct um he's never really produced teams that are that easy on the eye what's it been like watching Millwall since he took over yeah but don't forget that was that was the staple under Neil Harris if you look at Millwall's I think all last season Millwall had the lowest percentage I'm sure of any team in the championship and the year when they almost finished in the playoffs, their percentage of possession was awful. I think they had a match at the start of this season at Fulham where at one stage, I think they only had 12% possession. I mean, the thing with, the thing with Rauer is he's got players now that he can do different things with. And if he's, if he's, if his stock thing is to go with absorption break, fine. But at least he's got it in him now to say it's not working, we'll change. Whereas before, we only had that one default. It was absorb, get them on the break. Oh, no, we can't do it. And the thing about Rao is he's brought the best out of players that they weren't getting the best out of before. And that's what he's done. He's shaken things up. He impressed me even when he was manager of Derby, when he was manager of Birmingham and Stoke. He always came across as a fairly decent bloke, even though he scored on his debut as a 17-year-old to win at Millwall. <laughs> was he playing for Cambridge, I think, wasn't he, at the time? Yeah, not sure about that, not sure about that one, Mark. But, uh, you know, he was a popular player at Derby as well. And he, was, he, and he was, for most of the time, a popular manager at, at Derby when he, when he was here. But he's not the only link to the Rams, of course. You've got Mason, uh, Mason Bennett currently on loan at the Den. Obviously, he didn't do himself any favours during lockdown. And we've, we've talked about that in a previous episode but what do you make of uh, Mason Burnett's impact at Millwall, Mark? And, and is there any chance you think you'll be wanting to, uh, Millwall will be wanting to sign him permanently in the summer or whenever these contracts expire now? Well, obviously, you can't play against you a lot at the weekend because he's on loan. So he, he can't play. Is that right? He definitely can't play against you. Yeah, that's right. right? So, I mean, that'll allow Tom Bradshaw to, to claim his place back. And Tom Bradshaw probably feels a little bit unhappy that he lost his place in the first place. The thing I'll say about Bennett is... Um, he looks like a typical Millwall player. He runs and runs and runs. He gives a lot of effort. I think, having seen him, he's played four games. I think he looks probably unfit at the moment. I don't think he's 100% fit. At least he was unfit um, when he came to Millwall. I certainly couldn't fault him on skill and effort. Rowett clearly rates him. He likes him. Um, mm. He brought him straight in. He got him. So I think that if he's, if his contract's up at the end of the season... I mean, after what you said about Derby, I don't think he's got much future at that club, has he? Let's face it. Um, I don't think he, I don't think they'll keep him on. And Millwall seem to be at the front of the queue at the moment. So 
I'd like to see him stay. I think he's one of these players. He's only about 23, isn't he? He's only a kid, really. Yeah, he is still young. But I think, Chris, is it right? His his contract was extended at Derby, so he's not available on a free this summer. Is that right, Chris? I think that's right, yeah. I think that was to do with um, us guaranteeing that we get some sort of fee for him. But yeah, I, th- I think when you look at him, he is one of those players who does just need to be kept on the straight and narrow, really. And you'd imagine if he finds his level and gets the right sort of coaching and gets put in the right role and told to do the right things and is given some discipline, then he could be a, he could be a functional player for, for, for somebody. It's just that. Maybe that's what Rowett's going to bring out of him. Cause I'm sure Rowett must've dealt with him when he was at Derby. That's why he's gone back in for him. And there's clearly respect on both sides there. That, that could be right. So yeah, we, um, although Bennett can't play, it's, it's going to be a, a tough assignment for Derby. And, and we said before that Derby just do not do not have a good record at the Den overall. But we wanted to ask you, Mark, when Derby played their last season, I think my my main memory was that Millwall basically admitted afterwards that they, that they openly said that they did target Jaden Bogle, Derby's right back, who, who was uh, pretty green at the time, only played a handful of games and because he was young, inexperienced, uh, diminutive physically. Firstly, how do you see the game panning out tactically? It's, it, uh, is, it, is it unfair to say that Millwall will be direct? It could, with Derby could be in for a classic routing, if that's a word. And, and secondly, off the back of that, what's your, what's your prediction for the final score? The, the, the thing is, I'd say to you that if this match was happening the week after Millwall had just won 3-0 at Nottingham Forest... Um, I think that we would have gone all out from the start, hit you hard at the start, and the confidence was extremely high. As it is now, this is basically going to be, I know it's, I know it's a competitive game, but it's basically going to be a pre-season friendly, which is what most of the games are going to be now, because there's going to be nobody there. And the players aren't going to be match fit. There's going to be no one there to chibi them on. You're now playing either pre-season friendlies or full-scale practice matches. And it's going to be very strange to actually play a normal game plan when you're playing in those circumstances. I'd like to think that Millwall will come out fighting, but you can't attack a team like Derby or or guns blazing because I know you're not a one-man team, but Rooney is still a fairly decent player. And if you allow Rooney time and space, he's going to punish you. So maybe someone will have to go on to Rooney. People have tried in the past and failed. I'd like to think that Millwall have got enough in there in their tank to do it. Um, but I'm thinking that we've won the last three games against Derby. We did the dark double over them last year. I'd like to think it, it'd be 2-1 to Millwall, but I think it'll be a draw. I'm going to say, uh, I'm going to say score draw as well, I reckon. I think, um, as we said, it's a bit of a cliche, but I think the conditions will be a bit of a leveller. Teams feeling each other out. Yeah, I imagine it being quite slow. I think players will just be too scared to, to run too fast in case they do the hamstrings. And I think with that in mind... I, I, yeah, I think it will peter out to uh, quite an un-Millwall-like, uh, quiet, slow, one-all draw. But, uh, well, Mark, until we speak next season, when uh, Millwall are once again looking to beat Derby twice, we uh, we wish you well and thanks for talking to us. Well, be- best of luck to you two. And uh, I'll say best of luck to Derby after this weekend, yeah? So that is the Millwall view, Tom. I know it's completely difficult to call, A, because I haven't played for three months, B, because we're a mid-table team and C, because we just don't know how behind closed doors is going to affect things. But uh, I'll put you on the spot. What's your score prediction for Millwall away on Saturday? Millwall's always a tough place to go. We don't historically do very well there, but there have been some quite uh, famous victories in unusual circumstances there, going back to 94 and the playoff final, uh, playoff semi-final even, uh, 2014 and Bryson's hat-trick. So I'm going to go a 3-1 derby win. Coach, can you top that? Uh, no, I, I'd say something very similar. I think we're going to win. I think we're going to win comfortably, probably 2-0. Um, I think, as you say, we don't know how this is going to affect people, but one place that will be different without fans will be the new den. So um, as a football team, Derby are a much better football team. We've got better players. And if it comes down to a pure game of football with no uh, crowd involvement, I would fancy our chances against Gary Wowett's Millwall. So yeah, 2-0 Derby. Well, there we go. Well, uh, we're going to leave it there for now. We're, we're going to wrap things up with just a couple of notes that we, uh, we've seen um, around news stories connected to Derby County. A couple, couple of sad ones, really, Kutch. Uh, firstly, Mark O'Brien, the uh, Rams Academy graduate and former Academy Player of the Year, who uh, played more than 30 times for the Rams during a, an injury hit spell between 2009 and 2015. He's, uh, he's had to retire from football aged 27. 
uh, because he needs uh, additional heart surgery um, as he uh, sometimes will remember that he actually had heart issues when he played for uh, for Derby. And uh, well, all we really wanted to say was, I think I speak for all of us, Kutch, when uh, we wish him all the very best in in his recovery. Yeah, absolutely. And really, really top bloke. Um, as I mentioned before on the podcast, I think him and Jeff Hendrick, both T-boys, when I was Rami at Pride Park in 2009, 2010. And he was so highly thought of by Nigel Clough. And I think rightly so. He was a really good, no-nonsense defender, classic Clough defender, not the tallest, but he seemed to win everything in the air. And yeah, extremely unfortunate time with 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 heart problems, but gone on to have a really good career despite of that. Um, at at, uh, at Newport County recently, you know, being a bit of a cult hero there, scoring a goal a couple of years ago to keep them up. And yeah, just a really nice all round guy. So to retire so young for something so out of your control is is really sad. But we wish him all the best, and I'm sure Dar- most Derby County fans remember him very fondly. Yeah, I'd echo that. He, he always seemed like he had real potential. It was a massive shame to uh, to see him. Uh, retire uh, today from Newport County and wish him all the best. Another former Derby County player retiring, I, I saw today, Stephen Bywater. Uh, obviously wish him the best as well. 167 appearances for Derby between, I think, 2006 uh, and 2011. He was a bit mad, wasn't he, Bywater? Yeah, it's um, yeah he, he was mental, as you said there, Tom. You can't really talk about Bywater without mentioning the, the art that he had in, in his garden, um, which I think... I think he ended up in court because of that or something like that. It was like, did he get an asbo or something? Correct me if I'm wrong, but he was literally bonkers. Um, but at least now he can happily retire telling strangers to uh, to get to get their rats out, I suppose. Yeah, no, he was bonkers. Uh, echo all of those sentiments. But, you know, uh, he played a long time, had a long career, Premier League, Championship, League One, you know, Derby, Sheffield Wednesday, West Ham, Burton Albion. I've probably missed out of five other clubs he played for. Uh, but yeah, an in, integral part of that of that promotion winning team under Billy Davis. So plenty of plenty of good memories uh, for us all to remember uh, Stephen Bywater. So uh, best of luck in his uh, in his retirement. There we go. Well, we're going to wrap it up there. Um, before we go though, we are going to go weekly for this uh, this last crazy stint of the season. Um, I'm not really sure what I've signed up to with my current commitments at home, but uh, we're going to attempt to churn out a podcast every week during this uh, crazy nine game spell between now. And uh, the end of July, so do make sure you subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or uh, SoundCloud. And uh, the team will be back in uh, an, in a week. This time next week to react to the Rams' first game in three months. But uh, until then, Kutch, always a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you very much. And uh, Tom, always great to hear from you. Hope to uh, see you with my own eyes in the flesh very soon. Thanks very much. All the best, Chris. 